morning I'm going to be reading from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. If you want to be a person who is grown up, who is mature in every sense of the word, who is a person that James would classify as perfect, not sinlessly perfect, but grown up, full grown, mature. You want to be a person like that, you and I have got to get control of our tongues. If I can give the inverse of that, the uh, exception or the, the opposite side of that coin, if you want your life to be a walking disaster area, We all know people like that that have made such wrecks of their life. And then we might use terms to describe their lives and the way they behave as, well, they're just, their life is so full of drama. Their life is a wreck. Their life is a disaster. I wonder how many times we could go back and actually look at the ways that they speak, what they speak the habits of their speech, and realize that a lot of the problems that they deal with are especially based upon what comes out of their mouth. But brothers and sisters, James says, I want you to be full grown. God, in giving this inspired book of five chapters of practical down-to-earth Christianity, he says you need to be full grown. And in fact, in every single chapter of the book of James, James says, I don't want your life to become a life full of drama or a wreck or, or a disaster area, an exercise in scorched earth. But I want you to be somebody who's mature in full control of your speech, in full control of your tongue. In every single chapter, he has something to say about our words and the words we choose. Look back at James chapter 1 and verse 26. James chapter 1 and verse 26. He's going to say, My brethren, if any man thinks himself to be religious and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, he says, This man's religion is worthless. He says, You think you're a religious person? 
and then you're going to go off and fly off at the handle and you're not going to try and control your tongue to be grown up and to be mature. He says your religion is worthless. That's strong language, isn't it? Look at chapter 2 and verse 12. There's several instances in chapter 12 or chapter 2, verse 12, verse 14. But he says, so speak and so act as those who will be judged by the perfect law of liberty. I have a responsibility to speak in a way that honors and glorifies God. We'll come back to James chapter 3 in just a moment because that is the biggest and the greatest discourse on the use of our speech that the entire New Testament gives. In fact, I believe that it would probably be the greatest discourse of speech that mankind needs to hear based upon what he says. Look at what chapter 4 says. When you get to chapter 4 and verse 13 and talking about how it is that we relate to one another and how it is that we, uh, we deal with one another, he would say that here's people that are making plans. And he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow. Did you hear that? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such a city and buy and sell and make a profit and spend a year there. And yet you don't know what your life's going to be tomorrow. There's a danger in using speech that's presumptuous to assume that things are just going to go on the way that they ought to. Last one, look at James chapter 5 and verse 9. James chapter 5 and verse 9, he begins with the admonition, brethren, don't grumble against one another. How do we grumble? We use our words, don't we? It's what we say. We've got to be so careful. Brothers and sisters, because the book of James is admonishing us to become wise brethren with a perfect working faith, Fully grown up, mature in the faith. But so much of that has to do with our speech and what we say. Jump back to James chapter 3 just a moment. Let's outline this quickly. He begins in verses 1 and 2 by talking about being mature, being talking about being immature and especially teaching. And he would begin with a warning, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. What's the danger there, James? He says, because in essence, the instrument of our instruction is also the most difficult one to control. If you're able to control your speech, if you're able to control what comes out of your mouth, you are a perfect man, he would say at the very end of verse 2. There's an admonition to maturity. That's not to say if you're not going to become teacher, don't control your tongue, not at all. It's just there's a danger in teaching and realizing what comes out of your mouth has got to be the same. It's got to be consistent all the way through. He's going to use two illustrations of verses 3 and 4 to illustrate this principle about how our tongue can control our lives. He talks about verse 3, the bits that we put in the horse's mouth, this big, massive animal that if it wanted to could just buck off the rider and just uh, stomp him into the ground. So instead, that animal becomes controllable. That animal is able to serve mankind just with a little bitty bit that you're just going to put in that horse's mouth. That's your tongue if it's in control. Then he would use in verse 4 the ships. Look at how big the ships are that they build today. Can you imagine being a pilot of a ship like that in, in, in the midst of storms, in the midst of difficulty? And he says, you know what controls that ship? It's that very small rudder that's able to keep that ship on course, even the fiercest storms and even in the fiercest raging winds, that ship is able to stay on course. He says, that's your tongue. We'll come back to verses 5 and 6 in just a moment about what happens when the tongue is out of control. But as he goes on in verses, uh, verses 7 and 8, the danger and what our tongue is capable of, 
about how it is that we can't fully control the tongue and tame the tongue. He talks about how we can we can make Shamu jump out of the water at Sea World, and how it is that we can bring into subjection every single every kind of burst to a bird and beast of the field and, and creature of the air. We can tame those things, but we can't tame the tongue. And in fact, there's a dual nature of it, verses 9 through 12, about how we can take our tongues and we can at one point sing the praises to God like we've done this morning, glory and honor and dominion, power and strength to the Lord. As we sing, my Jesus, I love thee, and then we turn around and say, that brother so-and-so, he is just the worthless so-and-so that, that you'll ever meet and will curse men who have been made in the very likeness of the God that we've just used our tongues to bless. He says that ought not to be this case. That ought not to be so that the things that would come out of our mouth are opposites of what it's used for. When we jump back to verses 5 and 6, I want you to notice something very particular about these two verses. As you begin to look, especially at the end of verse 5, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. Yes, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the, the course of our lives. The, the idea is the whole wheel of existence. In fact, the, 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 the realm that I occupy, what makes the biggest difference in how I live my life? One of those things is my speech. And he goes on, and he doesn't stop there, but he says the tongue is set on fire by hell. Four times in two verses. Four times in two verses, you have the tongue described as a fire. Your tongue is described as something that sets on fire something else. Four times in two verses, just a little fire, just a little fire is enough to destroy thousands and thousands of acres like what we witnessed several years ago in Bastrop, Texas. One of the worst disasters that this state's ever known as far as forest fires go. I want to look at it in this context just for a moment. Fourth of July was just a couple of months ago, or it's last month rather, feels like months ago. But Fourth of July was last month, and I went down to the fireworks stand and I bought a Roman candle. I bought several Roman candles, believe it or not. It was a 10-shot Roman candle, and it was uh, alternating green and blue, or green, uh, green and red, and green and red, and green and red, all the way through, through each one of those 10 shots. And I thought about, as I lit that Roman candle up and watched the fuse go down, what would happen if I turned this on somebody? What would happen if I turned to my wife and pointed this at her? Do you suppose it'd do some damage? I think it would. In fact, I used this illustration at camp a couple weeks ago. And I took this dud Roman candle, this one that had already been fired, and I took a uh, fuse out of the Black Cats or the, the firecrackers. And I stuck it in there and I made it look like it was going to fire. And I lit it up and I said, all right, who wants the first one? And I aimed it at these kids that are listening at this devotional session. <laughs> Not my greatest moment, but, but the kids began to go like this. And they began to look around and go, what in the world? I said, give me some words to describe what you felt whenever you saw that thing aimed at you. They said, reckless, dangerous, Mr. Andy's out of his mind. They're right on that account. How in the world could he do something so foolish? What in the world is he thinking? And I can't help but read James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and say God is saying some of the same things when he listens to the words that I come out of my mouth. How reckless can Andy be? How foolish to use those words. Doesn't he, isn't he in his right mind? Doesn't he think soberly and righteously? Doesn't he have the right frame of mind with regard to this person or whatever it is he's speaking about? 
how often would God use those same things and those same terms about the things that come out of my mouth and that come out of your mouth on a daily basis? Ten shot Roman candle. Boom, 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 boom. All the way up to ten. And how quickly they come out. And how much damage could they be caused if they hit just the right person just the right way? And so with that thought of a 10-shot Roman candle, let me give you 10 shots quickly because they come out quickly that we use our tongues for that could absolutely set a fire in somebody else's life. Brothers and sisters, it's not God's will that we be like a Roman candle. Let me say that at the outset. It's not God's will that we light our tongues and just aim them at whatever or whatever, whoever it is that we think is deserving of that. 10 shots. Quickly, number one, gossip. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 9. We spoke about this this morning. If you were present in the auditorium Bible class, I would imagine the uh, other classes talked about it too. And how it is that sometimes we take, well, what's going on in his life or what, what's going on in her life? Well, I heard... Ooh, tell me what you heard. And there is a desire to want to hear those things. There's a desire to want to say those things. But how often, boom, does it come out quickly? How often without thinking, boom, next thing you know, we're engaged in gossip or we're the originator of rumors. How quickly our tongues can set a fire. Number two, complaining. Complaining. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Proverbs 21 and verse 23. <clears throat> we know Philippians 2 verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. And yet how often is that my go-to with what it is that comes out of my mouth? Boom. I'm going to complain about it being hot in here. I'm going to complain about my favorite dish not being on the potluck. I'm going to complain about my car as I get into it in the middle of the summer after it's been sitting in the sun all day. Why is it not cold? <laughs> you got to wait 30 minutes, and by the time you get to your destination, then it gets cold. That's the way things work in Texas. But how often is it that our default speech pattern is complaining? How much damage can that cause? Note in these Proverbs that we're looking at how many times he mentions calamity and disunity and disharmony and trouble and scorched earth is he talking about all with regard to our tongues and our speech. How many problems can we cause because we don't consider what comes out of our mouth? Shot number two is complaining. Shot number three, back talk. Back talk. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pluck it out and the young eagles will eat it. I don't know metaphorically what it is that Solomon or what the Proverbs writer is talking about at this point, but this is nothing good and nothing that I want. Can I tell you something? Young people quickly especially, but this absolutely applies to everybody. Your parents, your mom or your dad tell you to do something. I want you to go do this. Yeah, but... Boom, what you've done is you've just taken what mom and dad have said and you've started on a different path. Back talk. Stop it. Stop it. It doesn't belong in the life of somebody that wants to please God. You don't want to be a person like what's described here in Proverbs 30, verse 17, and yet how often, boom, does it come out quickly? And how much damage does it cause to your life? Shot number five. 
tearing down. Tearing down, Proverbs 15, verse 4. A soothing tongue, he says, is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. As the school year starts, young people, in just a couple of weeks for most of you, maybe next week, I don't know when it is, it's uh, different schedules, but I guarantee you there's going to be people that with their tongues, they are skilled at crushing somebody else's spirit and wanting to look at somebody and see how they dress and how they dress differently, and they're going to have something to say about that. And they're going to know that there's something that I can do to tear down the character of somebody else or tear down the self-esteem of somebody else, and you don't be a person like that. You don't be a person like that. You can crush somebody's spirit, according to this proverb, based upon the words that you use. Boom. How quickly does it come out? Like a Roman candle. Number six, we'll talk more about this one, especially this evening, but swearing or profanity. We go to the book of the New Testament and uh, the book of Mark. As Peter is there in the courtyard, as Jesus is on trial, in Mark chapter 14 and verse 71, the Bible talks about this servant girl that begins to question Peter and say, weren't you also one of his disciples? Note the reaction of what Peter does in this situation. The Bible says he begins to curse and swear and say, I do not know the man. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you something? You want to show that you're not with Jesus. You be a person that uses this kind of language. Those four-letter words that come out of your mouth so quickly. Whenever it is that you hit your finger with a hammer. Whenever it is that things don't go your way. And you begin to just use those four-letter words. You know, what you're doing more than anything else is exactly what Peter was trying to do on this occasion, to show that you're not with him. Profanity, cursing, swearing, whatever it is that you want to talk about, those things do not belong in the life of somebody that's trying to please God. And yet, boom, how quickly can they come out? How much damage can they cause? Number next, sarcasm. Sarcasm. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Proverbs 12 and verse 18. <laughs> somebody does something, somebody says something to me. Oh, yeah, that was helpful. Boom, how quickly it has come out. Brothers and sisters, there's a time and place sometimes for sarcasm. But the same thing, just like uh, complaining, if that's the default speech pattern that we use, you ever think about your words piercing like swords? You ever think about your words being able to tear somebody apart or to crush their spirit or to hurt them because of the fact that you're a sarcastic person and that's all that you speak all the time to husband, to wife? When you find yourself in that pattern, the problem with sarcasm is, is that the level of displeasure is not known. And I find it hard to believe that there is a proper place and a proper time when it is that you're going to engage in a conversation with somebody else where sarcasm is the best way. Where poking fun at somebody in a, or poking fun at something through irony is the best way. And yet, in an increasingly sarcastic society like ours, boom, how quickly we can get in those patterns and how quickly it can come out. Lying. Next shot, six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, we'll live with that in just a moment, and a lying tongue. You ever know people that if their mouth is moving, they're lying? 
When we talk about people like that, if they give you an answer, automatically you begin to question about whether or not they're going to be truthful with you or whether or not they're being truthful. Lies. And generally, what happens is lies don't stay one by themselves. Lies got to uh, perpetuate lies. Lies build other lies. Lies build other lies to cover up from original lie. Sin seldom travels by itself. But if I'm a person that my habit of speech, boom, is immediately to tell a lie, how much damage can you cause based upon that? How difficult can that make somebody else's life? And how terrible can that wreak damage in your own life? Rudeness. Rudeness. A fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. Proverbs 18 and verse 2. <coughs> Here's a person that's going to have something to say about everything. And it doesn't matter if it's building up or anything else. And I have the right to say it, so I'm going to say it come what may. It may hurt somebody terribly, but I don't care. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. They're not going to find the reason why it is that the situation they're dealing with I've mentioned before, sometimes you go to dinner with somebody at a restaurant and that person is just as rude and as angry with that waiter or waitress as they possibly can be. And they have a right to express their own heart. It is a cringeworthy dinner when you get in something like that. Rudeness. Do I consider others and their feelings? Or is it just whatever it is that comes to my mind? Boom, that's what's coming out of my mouth. How about if somebody that's argumentative? Argumentative. The lips of a fool bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. Their mouths invite a beating. It's a modern translation of this verse, and talking about somebody that if they're going to speak, they're going to speak in those yeah, but terms like back talk a little while ago, but they're also going to be a person that, well, I don't care what you say, but I'm going to do. Fool comes to blows. Their mouths invite a beating. Why not stop and consider and listen to what's being said and think about those things instead of arguing or being immediately argumentative as if somebody's out to get you or as if somebody's going to try and cause you pain based upon that. Last one. Boom. How quickly it comes out. Boasting. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. Proverbs 18 verse 10. When I look and I start looking at the heart, you know what I'm going to invariably find? There's a connection that's made between what goes into me, that is my heart, my mind, my attitude towards things. And Jesus would say in Matthew 12, verse 34, whatever's in your heart is going to come out of my mouth. Whatever my motives are, whatever it is that I'm feeling on those situations, the tongue is always right there, boom, descended out. And if I'm going to look at somebody, well, I don't have that problem. Well, I have a nicer car than you do. All of those things can set a fire in somebody else's life. And I've got to be careful about that. And I've got to realize that these patterns of speech can come out so quickly and cause so much damage. And we probably haven't even listed them all or, or even cut, uh, talk, uh, touch the surface, scratch the surface. But I know, brothers and sisters, that these things have destroyed lives. They've destroyed marriages. They've destroyed relationships. They've caused scorched earth in countless people's lives. And it's all based upon what starts right here on my lips, aiming that Roman candle at somebody else. There's a popular song that was made in 2010. Hard to believe it's almost 20 years old now. 
I don't endorse the artist. I absolutely don't endorse anything else that she said. But she sang a song, and if you've seen a fireworks show since 2010, you've probably heard the song, Baby, You're a Firework. It occurs to me how ludicrous that song is because when you hear the song, Baby, You're a Firework, you're watching somebody who's engaged in the art of self-destruction. Baby, you're a firework. Boom. Oh, there they go. And I wonder how often it is that people want to look at Christians and they want to look at you and me and say, oh, he's a firework. I wonder if my legacy as a Christian is that people are going to look at me and say, Andy was a firecracker. You know, I think about with regard to firecrackers. There's a flash of light, but more than anything else, there's a whole lot of noise. A flash of light and a whole lot of noise. There is a flash of what he should be as a Christian, a shining light, Matthew 5, verse 16. But more than that, more than his reputation as a light, what I just remember was that he was just a whole lot of noise. You may say that because I'm a preacher. I don't know about that. But I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about me and my pattern of speech in my life. And if I never use my words for anything good, I'm just a shell of what I ought to be. I'm just noise. I'm not characterizing my life by love. To give you a few applications based upon this, number one, brothers and sisters, we want to be what God wants us to be. We have got to take seriously the first two great commandments. Jesus on one occasion, Matthew 22, was asked, teacher, what's the greatest commandment of the law? You remember what his answer was on that occasion? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he didn't stop there. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. It occurs to me that in keeping loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, I have to love my neighbor as myself. I have to look at God and my relationship with him and say, that's most important in my life. But in order to keep that, I cannot speak about you and you cannot speak about me in whatever way it is that you feel like needs to come out of your mouth at any given moment. I've got to love you as much as I love myself. That's a great and high and hard challenge to make, but sometimes the things that come out of my mouth are exactly the opposite of that. And I'm sorry for that. But I want to change and I want to bring my tongue under subjection so that I can guide my life in the way that God wants me to go and not just shoot off. But we get too often caught up in just shooting our mouths off, don't we? We've got to take seriously the first two great commandments. We've got to replace our habits of speech. The Bible never gives you something to take out of your life without giving you something to plant back in its place. You realize that? If I go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, <coughs> Paul in this application section of the book of Ephesians gives a number of things where he can, and you can just follow along, write in your Bible, take this out. Don't do this in your life, but instead do this thing. Put this back in here and put this in its place. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt word, how much corrupt words can I let out of my mouth? Paul says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what's necessary for building each other up. If we just took that verse, how much different would we all behave and how much different would our marriages be and how much differently would our, our relationships be if I resolved that immediately, boom, I'm not going to speak whatever it is the tongue wants to speak. I'm going to stop and I'm going to think, what does this person need to hear if I'm truly loving them the way that I want to love Christ? 
If I want to love them the way that I love myself, what do they need to hear that's going to build them up? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what's necessary for building up somebody else. Stop complaining. Put thankfulness in the place of complaining. Stop back-talking. Put submissive obedience in that place where I say, yes, mom, yes, dad, I will do what you say with no argument, with no back-talk. I'm going to behave as that kind of child. world needs more of those kids. world needs more examples of young people like that. Because you're always going to have somebody over you. What happens when you get in that job where you, you have that boss that, that you don't like and that boss that makes unreasonable requirements? Oh, that boss, let me tell you about him. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to cause a lot of damage, not only in my own life, but in the lives of others. Number three, brothers and sisters, I believe we've got to hold each other accountable. <coughs> Point me to Jesus. Point your brothers and sisters to Jesus. Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, sometimes that's unpleasant. Sometimes there are sparks that are created. But as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. When we get in those situations where we begin to complain and it's just a big complain fest, boom, 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 we're letting them all go. Or where we get in a situation where we're gossiping or back-talking or being argumentative, boom, 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 we're just letting it all go. You know what we need to do in those situations? Is stop and say, hang on just a second. I love you guys. I know you love the Lord. I know we love each other. We need to pray about whatever it is that we're complaining about. We need to pray for whoever it is that we are now engaged in gossip about. We need to remember that I've got problems in my own life just like you've got problems in your life, just like others have got problems in their life. And we need to talk about these things in a way that's going to build somebody up or going to solve the problem and not just trying to spread rumors and, and share gossip and, and just unleash our scorched earth. Stop complaining. Stop back-talking. Stop being argumentative. Start holding each other accountable to a higher standard. You can do that in love. You can point people to Jesus in love, and dare I say, we need to do more of it because of the danger of the tongue and reminding ourselves that our tongue has a different master since we've known Jesus. Number last, number four. I like this one. I just call it the thumper rule. The thumper rule. You remember the old show Bambi, 1940-something? Little Thumper sitting there and hearing what his mother said. If you can't say something nice, what's the rest of it? Don't say anything at all. Bible would say that even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. Job, when being questioned by the Lord, you remember that Job was saying, this, I haven't done anything to complain. And as they begin to, uh, to, to make some suspicion about why it was that uh, Job was suffering in his life, God comes down in a whirlwind and he begins to question Job and say, Job, here's what you're going to do. You're going to straighten yourself up like a man. I'm going to ask you some things and you're going to answer me. By the end of the first round of questioning, you know what Job's only answer was? Behold, I am vile. I place my hand over my mouth. And brothers and sisters, some of us could do no better than to place our hand over our mouth. Stop talking. If what you're going to say is not going to lead somebody closer to the Lord and in a deeper relationship with Him, stop talking. Don't say it. It's not going to help. 
but you could very well be adding drama, be adding scorched earth, be adding a life that's not grown up, but childish. You know, a characteristic of childishness is, is that you have a child that's just going to say whatever comes to their mind. Um, Bill Cosby, I think, there was older, but I remember Bill Cosby doing, uh, what was it, uh, kids say the things. And, and he would just sit there and they'd just listen to children because the children just spout those things off. And everybody get a good laugh, but there's a point where it is that we begin to grow up and when we begin to mature. And James says, Christians, if you're going to grow the way Christ wants you to grow, start considering what comes out of your mouth and whether that's really what needs to be said. If you've listened to this lesson this morning, you realize that there's room for repentance in all of our lives. Because he says that no, one, no man can tame the tongue. There's areas in my life, whether that be, well, any of those shots or maybe others that we haven't talked about, where we let those things go so quickly and so easily that we realize the damage we've caused. Maybe that repentance involves going to somebody, husband and wife, and saying, I'm sorry. I apologize for my patterns of speech. I do behave too sarcastically towards you. I love you so much. I want the best for you. I want the best for this relationship. Please forgive me. That's a statement of repentance. That's a statement that I want to do better as a husband or a wife. Maybe it is that as the school year begins, the statement of repentance is, I'm going to stop back talking to my mom and dad. I'm going to stop behaving in a way that's contrary to their authority in my home. I'm going to start obeying and obeying right away with a happy heart more. Maybe it is a statement of repentance means that my words have harmed the church body. Maybe it is an understanding that we all need each other and we need the strength and encouragement that comes from being brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you need to repent this morning in a public way. Maybe you need the prayers and encouragement of the congregation. That's what we're here for. We would love to encourage you and help and to strengthen in whatever area. But maybe it is that there's here those here who have an understanding of who Jesus is and they want to submit their life to him. And they say, I want Lord Jesus to be not only Lord of my tongue, but the Lord of my whole life. I want to follow him from here to eternity. And part of that is learning to guard my tongue. Part of that is bringing all of my members under submission unto him. And that starts with a step. And that step is obeying the gospel. Coming to Christ in humility, in faith, repentance, and baptism. And putting on Christ in the watery grave of baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. You can have that this morning. There have been several souls just in this congregation that have been added over the last several weeks. It'd be great to have another one this morning. Whatever your need is, won't you come as we stand and sing our invitation song?